Chapter 5 Learning German Mr. George looks up at me with eyes as black as soot. What do you want to learn? he says. The junior librarian stands by simpering as though in awe of the library tutor. Maybe tutors have more kudos in the NPC world. I give him Sprengler's Kult aus dem Meer. I want to read this. He looks at it, turns some of the pages, then says, How many skill points did you want to spend? How many do I need to read it? Learning German is pretty cool, but I want to save some skill points to put into combat, and some definitely to learn a magic spell or two. I have 80 to spend. Mr. George appraises the book, his fleshy lips pulsing like a puffer fish. Eventually, he says, fluently, 80, to get the gist, maybe 25. Okay, 25, then I say, what skills can you teach? Any academic skills? Magic, he shakes his head. You need a magician to teach you, not a librarian. But you can learn from a tome or from another player. Helpful, I'm pondering that when the junior says, ready? Here? Mr. George nods, his black eyes filled with disinterest. Do I need to sit? Shrugging, he says, as you wish, it makes no difference to the process. I choose to stand. Let's go then. Arrange the skill points spend via your HUD, the junior says. I glance up, select my character sheet and turn to the skills page. I find academic skills, languages, German. I commit 25 skill points and hit enter. Ready, I say. He stares into my eyes. It feels like I'm entering a trance as he says, Der, die, das, dem, den. He speaks faster and faster. Sieben Schwäne schwimmen auf sieben Flüssen. My head is swimming and I don't feel I'm taking it in. Dizziness grabs me. I put out a hand to a desk to steady myself and, as suddenly as it is begun, it's over. He says, Es war gut, nicht wahr? And I answer, Sehr gut, danke. Ich habe so viel so schnell gelernt. Ich kann es kaum glauben. And I really know German. Not perfectly. Only 25 skill points worth. But it's in my head. If Miskatonic could patent this speed learning, in the real world they'd make a fortune. They wouldn't have to sell role-playing games, they could clean up in education. Amazing, how did they do that? As if reading my thoughts, Mr. George says, Such learning is only possible in the game world. This medium makes things possible that wouldn't be imaginable outside. But does the skill carry over to the real world? He nods, oh yes, lots of things that happen here carry over to the real world. For the first time, he smiles, showing me rows of even white teeth, white as piano keys. What the hell did he mean by lots of things carry over? It sounded almost sinister. I'm about to ask, but something makes me shut my mouth. I step back. Call again, Mr. George says, still showing his white teeth. The scar-faced junior echoes him. Yes, come again, it's been wonderful meeting you, Reverend Cadmon. How do you know my name? The junior says... You gave me your library card, and, as if seeing disquiet in my face, says, Don't worry, we're not following you around. Then I think he knows about the men with the masks, but how could he? I study him and his scar, his eyes blue as watered glass, don't blink. There's something strange about these NPCs. They're both smiling now. Right, I say, I have a job to complete. Don't you have to read your book first, the junior says. He's right. The book is gripped in my hand. I'm sweating. Of course. I take the book and hurry back to the desk where my hat is. I sit, at first unable to concentrate. Then I turn the pages. I can't read it all, but I look in the index for Sumeria, page 301, halfway down. From the royal death pit I obtained, word unknown, 
statuette. It's similar to artifacts found in Irem, city of the pillars in the Hejaz. Without doubt, it originates from the pelagic cultures of the drowned realm of Gond, brought to land after the antediluvian unknown words. Later, I find other examples, but not unknown words, of a green material like jadeite, very hard and smooth. The syntax of the next sentence is difficult to decipher, something to do with undersea cults. I needed more points in my German. I have added this one to my personal collection. It seems from this extract that this statuette, a cult item from a drowned civilization, depicts a god known as Cthulhu. It also seems Sprengler has it in his own collection. That is progress, but I have no idea where Sprengler is now. Woolley's book indicated he'd been involved in recent excavations in Ur, so he's probably still alive, but maybe back in Germany or in Iraq even. I close the book, and as I do so, an inscription on the title page catches my eye. It says in English, To the British Library Reading Room Librarians, in memory of many happy hours, H.R. Sprengler, London, NW3. It isn't dated, but at that time he was staying in London. I leave the book on the desk and stand. The junior librarian has gone and Mr. George is staring blankly into space. I watch him as I put on my coat. He really gives me the creeps. I leave the reading room and walk through the British Museum past the stone ghosts of Assyrians, Egyptians and Greeks hurrying down the steps. I nip into the museum tavern opposite the museum's front entrance. The bar is full of men, not a woman among them and the air is crowded with cigarette smoke and male laughter. I step over to the bar and the barman in the white apron asks, What'll it be, Reverend? I look at the tall straight glasses on shelves behind the bar and three hand pumps in front of me. Bitter? I say, not sure if that sounds odd. Is that how they ask for beer? It seems all right because he responds, A pint or a half? Pint, please. He pours me a pint of translucent brown liquid with a small frothy head. I sip it. It's very hoppy. Amazing the game can convey such nuances of taste. The barman moves on to the next customer. Who knows whether they're players like me or NPCs just added in to give atmosphere. When he's finished pouring two pints for the other man, I catch the barman's eye. I say, he nods and smiles, Do you have a telephone book? Telephone's not for customers, I'm afraid. No, I just want to look at the book. He hesitates for a moment and shrugs. I'm sure that'll be all right. He turns and walks out to get the telephone book from a room behind the tap room, leaving an exasperated customer exhaling in frustration. After a minute, the barman comes back with the book and hands it to me. Don't run off with it, he winks, but I suppose I can trust you, being a man of the cloth and all. Much appreciated. I retreat to a table. The pub is narrow and the tables are set against the banquette that runs along the inside wall. There are no windows along the length, just in the door and at the top facing Great Russell Street. Conversation buzzes around me as I flick through the phone book, S. Sprengler. The phone book in 1927 is thin. Telephones are a luxury few people have. There's only one Sprengler, H.R., and he lives at 11 Holly Hill, Hampstead. His telephone number is Ham426. I run my finger over the writing and it copies itself into my journal. I'm not going to phone him. I'm going to pay him a visit. I finish my beer and feel all light-headed as once again the circuitry in my neural net does something clever and mimics the effects of alcohol. I stand and step over to hand the telephone directory to the barman. As I walk across the bar, I become aware everyone is staring at the door. A woman stands on the threshold, not coming in. 
and I feel the hostility of the whole bar towards her. Everyone has stopped talking. A man to my right mutters, Sir again, or we should go away. His stubble-chinned friend says, She's a warm one, this shouldn't be allowed out. She must have escaped. Because she's a woman, I think at first it's some sexist thing from the 1920s and prepare to say friendly words to her as I walk out. Then I see her eyes. Her eyes emit light like an old-fashioned cathode tube, beaming out and making her blind. How can she see with lights like that in her eyes? She's otherwise normal, average height, average build, averagely dressed, slightly shabby and ordinary, but her eyes are unutterably alien. I put my hand involuntarily to my throat. She doesn't speak, just stares, and she's staring at me. I freeze the phone book in my hand, halfway to returning it. The barman leans in and says, I think she wants you. My mouth dries. She's the strangest person I've ever seen. How come someone like this is wandering the streets of London in 1927, someone with electric eyes? Where has she escaped from? The man to my right whispers in my ear like I have authority. Tell her to go away. She brings bad luck. I protest, I've never seen this woman before in my life, and I hold back. Suddenly the man to my right yells at her. You there, go away. He doesn't need you. Piss off. Easy, the barman says. The reverend doesn't want to hear language like that. He turns apologetically. Sorry, Reverend, it's just that she needs to go. Tell her to go. I take the authority they've given me and clear my throat. I don't know who you are, madam, but you're making people nervous. It would be better if you leave. For the first moment, she speaks. She says three words in a clipped manner like a robot learning to talk. She leaves half-second spaces between them. She says, electric, then access, then azathoth. The stubble-chinned man says, Azathoth, Lord of the Warm Ones. I spin round the Warm Ones? Who are the Warm Ones? You find out. Then he nudges his friend who laughs into his pint. Neither of them meet my eye, but they think it very funny. The woman with the light in her eyes turns and leaves walking away. I step to the door when she's gone and watch her retreat down the street without looking back. I could follow her and ask her what she meant by those words, but I don't. It's only a game, but again, I'm unnerved. Waiting for me in my HUD is a message so far unseen. Sanity, minus ten. I'm down to seventy-five. I actually feel like I've lost some sanity in real life. The world is woozy and under the hubbub, almost out of hearing, the voices of birds talk of songs and feathers. It's weird and unsettling. I have a bizarre itching in my head. I mean right in the middle of my head. I reach my hands up, but of course I can't scratch it. It feels like a small grain of rice in the middle of my brain. I try to shrug it off. After a few paces, I manage to ignore it. Everything's okay. I take a minute on the street to admire the detail of the CGI world Miskatonic Games has created. It's almost real, in fact, in its 8K high definition. It's better than real. I never see scenes as clearly as this in real life. I take some breaths, smile at the beauty and detail of the rendered street scene in front of me, more to settle myself than anything else, and after four or five minutes feel better. It's just a game. Time to go and see Herr Sprengler. I find the British Museum Underground Railway Station and descend the steps into the bowels of the earth. It's hot down here. I get to the ticket desk and ask for a return ticket to Hampstead Underground Station. Hampstead is a place I couldn't go in real life. It's Zone A, which means there's no access for people with assets under $5 million unless they have a valid work permit. 
in real life. I understand it's a beautiful place with the fresh air of the heath, high levels of cleanliness and low crime. I'm looking forward to visiting it in 1927, probably because I can't in 2027. The fare to Hampstead is sixpence. When I offer the man the five-pound note, he balks. Don't you have nothing smaller, Reverend? I can't break this. I shake my head, grumbling, he steps over into the back. Out of sight, he must have opened a safe. He comes back with four one-pound notes, one ten-shilling note, nineteen shillings and a silver sixpence in coins. The notes feel large and papery in my hands. I put them into my leather wallet and take the ticket. I catch the train west to Tottenham Court Road and then change to the Hampstead and Highgate line heading north. The tube train is hot and people sit reading newspapers or novels but no one speaks. People get on and people get off as I travel below the metropolis. After half an hour, we arrive at Hampstead. It's one of the deepest stations in the London Underground Network, and instead of the steps, I take a lift to the surface. I step in, and the attendant pulls the iron grill closed, and the iron cage ascends. <laughs> 